0: Welcome to The Backpack, a podcast from Christ Community Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. On The Backpack, we want to prepare you for the journey outside where following Jesus meets real life. Hello and welcome to The Backpack. My name is DJ. I'm one of your hosts and thanks for joining me back at the Canteen, one of our regular segments where we feature sermons from the preaching ministry here at Christ Community Church. This week, we continued in our study of Titus 2, 11 through 15, called Lynchpin. Without this, your faith is going nowhere. We're talking about grace, and this week, we zero in on the transformative aspect of God's grace, how it makes us new day by day, molding and shaping us into the image of Jesus Christ, a process the Bible calls Sanctification. Let's listen in as Pastor Blake talks about sanctification and how we can lean in to God's grace as it does the hard work of renewal in our lives. Here's this week's message.
1: Hey, we are in Titus 2. I do want to encourage you to open your Bibles there. And um, that passage that we just read, we're reading it each week over these five weeks, and we're taking it a verse at a time. And uh, today we're on verse 12. Last week was verse eleven. This week is verse twelve. But before we get there, uh, it's also the beginning of football season. Uh, so, you know, I'll try not to give you a, a football illustration every week, but, but this one this one seemed like a good starter. So, uh, on July twenty seventh, two thousand fifteen, a guy by the name of Mac Jones made a verbal commitment to play quarterback at the University of Kentucky. Go Cats! On June 6th, 2016, Mac Jones flipped his commitment to the University of Alabama. People are getting salty in here right now. He won a national championship with Alabama in 2021. And then he was drafted and signed by the New England, New England Patriots. Now, when he signed, by every... Technicality, he was a professional football player. Or was he? The media often talks about players having a, a welcome to the NFL moment. I just thought it might be good to introduce you to Mac Jones's welcome to the NFL moment. Let's play the tape. When Gregory destroys Mac Jones. As far as actual clean hits on a quarterback's go, it's hard to find a more painful-looking one than what Mac Jones had to endure when his leading with Patriots hosting the Dallas Cowboys in Week 6. Facing a second-and-long situation at the Dallas 35 in the second quarter, Jones faked a handoff that had a rude awakening awaiting him. The veteran defensive end, Randy Gregory, came around the edge and absolutely crushed Jones. And, as a double away, it led to a Dallas Fumble recovery. That was one of two sacks Jones would take that day. But surely that was the most painful hit of his young NFL career up to this point. Don't feel too bad for Jones, even though the Patriots went on to lose a heartbreaker and overtime. After the game, the Alabama product stated that he actually embraces the hard hits that have come his way. I think getting hit is always fun. Uh, because, you know, it makes it more fun as part of the game. And fun, you're kind of nuts. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> fun, you're kind of nuts. Mac Jones, let me say, as a cats fan and as a Colts fan, I really hate it for this guy. I mean, that you know, I really hate that he had to take a hit like that. <laughs> kid, a kid, all right. But these welcome to the NFL moments, they they illustrate pretty well what we need to learn about grace today. Grace has saved you in the past. Like when Christ died on the cross, that that was the moment that, that purchased your salvation. But grace is also saving you in the present, in this, in this moment. Um, it's kind of like what we see here, right? You are a professional football player the moment you're signed, but you're becoming a professional football player as you start attending meetings, getting your gear, going to practice, playing games, or in many cases, taking that first big hit, right? And so today, we're going to be talking about that, that becoming. Of salvation, how grace helps us to become the person that you already are in Christ. But but how does that happen? Right. That that is the question. How does that happen? Uh, Titus two, verse eleven, we talked about last week. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. It picks up in verse twelve, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way. In this present age, that process is a process that Scripture calls sanctification. Uh, this is my definition for sanctification it's the communal process of crucifying the flesh and its desires in order that one might be made holy by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot of words in there to, to think about, but it, the, what I want you to get from this definition is that it's a, it's a process. There's a lot of things going on, and, and this process, becoming who you are in Christ, is Really, really messy. It's really messy. In this letter to to Titus that Paul is writing, one of the things that Paul wanted to address was how this process was going to be played out in the lives of the people who lived on this island called Crete that Titus was serving in. In chapter 1, verse 15, he makes this statement He says, To the pure, everything is pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. So that process, right, from being completely defiled to totally pure is is really messy. It's really hard to, to quote-unquote, come clean. I recently ran a Tough Mudder. Uh, At the end, you're, you're covered in, you guessed it, mud, and a lot of it. Okay, the, the, you're, you're nasty. You've been through all kinds of things. So you get to the end of the race, and they've got this huge area where they've pulled a trailer in, and this trailer is fit with uh, a ton of water hoses. And so you have hundreds of people like walking up on this trailer and just hosing off. And they're hosing, they're trying to get all the mud off. And when you finish that, you go to, they've got two big tents, one for the guys and one for the girls. And you go inside these tents and you change into some, some cleaner clothes. And let let me tell you, like when you get done, like there's, there's nothing that would feel better than to just be clean. Like you really want to, to be clean. But also let me tell you, there's nothing about that process that actually is very clean like you go to the trailer and it's pretty nasty like you feel a little cleaner because you've sprayed the mud off but it's nasty and then you go into the tent and that's just unspeakable i mean it's it's bad so so you want to be clean and and at the end i'm a little cleaner than i was but the process of cleaning up was was really messy the same is true in our spiritual lives right we have a desire to, to be clean, to become who Christ has created us to be. When we realize that his grace has appeared bringing salvation for us, we want to be different. We want to, to live into that life that he's given to us. For many of you here today, right, that, that desire is somewhere deep inside of you, the desire to become who Christ has created you to be. Now, you might not express it that way. You, you might say something like, well, I want to become the best version of myself, or Uh, you might even say, I'm I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to be a good follower of Christ the best I can. But let me tell you today that the the source of that desire is placed in you by God's grace. God's grace is what puts that there. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2, Paul says, So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. If you've got a kid in Community Kids, you might have heard that recently. The idea is this, right? When God's grace appears in your life, it births in you this desire for things that that are above, like that are are bigger, that are at the right hand of God, where Christ is. You have a desire to become who Christ created you to be. You can see the end goal. A few weeks ago... um, I discovered that an above-ground septic tank in our basement had worn out. That's never good. Uh, A slow leak had destroyed the the floor and the walls of the bathroom in our basement. So we quickly realized that this uh, this wasn't gonna be a quick fix. So when we realized that, you start thinking about all the things. You start dreaming and envisioning all the things that you've always wanted to change and do in the basement well, do we want this here? Do we want this there? What do we want to do with the walls? Do we want to move things around? How do we want to redecorate? And you start getting this picture of what you want it to be. And you want to make all those changes. We're still looking forward to that at our house. But if you've ever done a project like this, you know like there's that initial those, the couple weeks of work, tearing things out, getting bids, hearing the dollar figures that are attached to those bids. You're like, oh man, this is going to be a thing. This process is going to be a whole lot harder and messier than we thought it was going to be. See, that's often how we approach this process of sanctification or being made holy or being saved. We look forward to the end results. We talk a ton about eternal life and being in glory and being like Christ, but we often groan about the process that gets us there. It's hard. Paul did something really interesting as he's talking about and describing these people of Crete. Um, as he's describing what they're wrestling with, he, he actually referenced what some of their own people had to say about them. So, you know, it's like, it's like one thing if you would say, yeah, you know, this is kind of what I'm struggling with or whatever. But then when other people around you start saying that about you, it's like, ooh, that pinches a little bit, right? Listen to this from, from chapter 1, verses 10 and following. Paul says, well, there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It's necessary to silence them. They're ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. And then he says this, one of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, right? But what's Paul saying here? Paul's saying, hey, Titus, these people that you're serving, they are they are rebels. They will say whatever they need to to get what they want. You never know if what they're saying is true. At their worst, they're just evil. At their best, they're lazy. Then Paul says, but I'm not the one saying that. It's their own prophets. And they're right. He says, this is destructive. Like, this is ruining people's lives. And these are people, right, that have believed that Jesus was their Lord and Savior. It would seem then, right, that that they believed that grace had appeared in the form of Jesus Christ. They just didn't realize that grace had something to teach them. They didn't realize that grace was going to be transforming their lives. They were living out one of the phrases that we hear too often today. It's just who they are. Those Cretans. It's just who they are. You see, when we get tired of groaning about the process of becoming who who Christ has created us to be, we just kind of give up and give in to the idea that it's just who we are. But then Paul says in chapter 1, rebuke them sharply. If someone in your life, or maybe you, are in that place of, of stagnant, defeated, or lazy faith, wake up. Wake up. Grace has something to teach you. Grace teaches us differently. Grace teaches us that life is always clearer after death. Life is always clearer after death. How does it do that? What is, how do we get that from, from verse 12? For the grace of God's appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us, teaching us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live In a sensible, righteous, and godly way. Two two things it's teaching us, right? Number one, grace teaches your heart that it's not enslaved to sin. Grace teaches your heart that it's not enslaved to sin. This is, is a really big deal, because when we start thinking about the sin in our lives, we begin asking ourselves, how can I deny this sin? I've tried. It's hard. Feels impossible sometimes, to deny the sin in my life? Or if I do it for a little bit, I can't seem to find sustained help in that. How do I say no to the areas of my life where where God seems to be kind of shut out or I've not allowed him in? How do I say no to, to these indulgences that I've enjoyed for years, maybe my whole life, but now I realize are just worldly lust? How do I deny those things? Well, grace teaches us that our heart is not enslaved to those things. Romans 6 Verses 6 and 7 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. You see, we can deny godlessness and worldly lust because grace teaches us that we don't have to say yes. Grace, said the other way, right? Grace frees you to say no to sin. The old you was, was crucified with Christ. It was killed. And, and life is always clear after death. What that means, right, is that I will only experience more life in Christ when I join Jesus in, in killing the remaining sins in my life by denying this godlessness and the worldly lusts. This means that it's good to let things die in your life. Some of us have, like, attachments to the things that are going on inside of us. But it's, it's good to let things die. Pieces of the old you must be taken away if the new you is going to live. You say, well, Blake, how, how do I begin to identify these things? What, what does it look like to, to really begin to, to be transformed? When you're on the hunt for what needs to die, I want to encourage you to ask yourself this question. What is it my flesh wants? What is it my flesh wants? But then, instead of just reflecting on that or meditating on that, I I want you to answer it out loud. What is it my flesh wants? And then answer it out loud. Because, you see, hearing yourself answer that out loud helps remove the power of the desire your flesh has, but, but sometimes it just helps you to hear how ungodly it really is. And when we do this, it becomes like... It's a huge deal. 2 Timothy 2.21 is a great encouragement to join Jesus in this kind of heart work. Paul writes, So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. And you want to make a difference? Do Do you want to step further into your calling? Do you want to see people influenced and changed by you? Purify yourself from, from anything dishonorable. Grace teaches us that our heart is not enslaved to sin. And life is always clear after death. So let's kill sin. But grace also teaches us to be grateful for hard truth. Grace teaches us to be grateful for hard truth. It says, instructing us to deny Godless and worldly lust, but then it also says, to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way you start going through that list right it's like I may be able to, to live sensibly like I can, I can keep my stuff together that makes sense alright righteous well are we talking like righteous all the time or like completely righteous or just righteous most of the time I'm a little iffy on that one godly no way yeah like look at my look at all the stuff in my bathroom closet and you know like no not, not godly seems impossible to do that. So when Paul writes this to Titus, that grace teaches us to live sensibly, righteous, and in a godly way, that's a really hard truth. That's a a really difficult idea to wrestle with, that that my life should be doing that. It's a tension for us. C.S. Lewis has a quote that talks about the tension. He says, I have no doubt that the Lord will bring goodness out of this. The only question is how much we will endure to experience it. The only way that we get to experience the goodness of God's truth is if we learn to endure the hard truths that we're hearing, to be grateful for the hard truths that we're hearing. This is one reason that we need biblical community. We, we need each other. And when I say that, what I'm saying is we need the kind of church family that, that doesn't just show up at family potlucks on Sundays, but the kind of church family that invests their lives into one another so that when we're honest and, and there's a hard truth that we need to hear from God and apply to our lives, there are people who are understanding and willing to walk with us in that. There, there are people who can say, uh, you, there's grace, but yeah, you're right. Like, let's work on that together. Jesus himself said, don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. So when Paul writes that grace instructs us to live in a a sensible, righteous, and godly way, we should expect that that hard truth will bring a sword thumping down between our old self and our new self. It, It divides us. The old me, the new me. Let me ask you a question. How do you respond to hard truth? When your spouse calls you on something, when you read something in scripture and you know it's true, but you don't want to give into it, when somebody comes to you and says, hey, I, I just need to ask you about this, how do you respond to hard truth? Do you humbly listen? Do you pout? Do you get angry? Do you get silently angry? Okay, moving on from me. Are you willing to learn when you receive hard truth? And here's the real catch. If you really want to know the answers to those questions, ask those closest to you this week instead of answering those questions for yourself. Man, hard truth is hard to receive, but grace teaches us to be grateful for that hard truth. Grace will teach the old you how to be the you that Christ created you to be. But to do that is going to take a lot of hard truth. One by one, he graciously introduces you to the things that you need to hear so that he can purify you and make you holy. The question is, will we be teachable? And will we be grateful? 2 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul says, But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. Because from the beginning, God has chosen you for salvation, through sanctification, what we're talking about today, by the Spirit, and through belief in the truth. We should be thankful. Grace teaches us to be grateful for hard truth. Daisy Chung uh, released uh, an infographic uh, in 2018 entitled Programmed to Change. Uh, talented artists, brilliant scientists, and this infographic was about some new things that they had found that were happening during metamorphosis, okay? So I am not a scientist. If I mess certain things up, grace, teach me later. Help me receive the hard truth later, right? But there were some things in here that were really fascinating to me. Here was a paragraph that's on this infographic. It says, New research suggests that the caterpillar does not dissolve into a soup as once thought. Rather, The insect's makeover is a programmed mix of destruction and growth. Certain cells die and body parts atrophy. Meanwhile, other cells in place since birth rapidly expand. What a great picture of the gospel. It's an incredible picture of how God created you and me. Everything that you need to become who you are in Christ is already in your DNA. It's already there. You simply have to invite the death of your old self so that the new self can thrive. And as we invite the death of our old self, we have this confidence that our resurrection in Christ is is right around the corner again and again and again. Life is always clearer after death. A little bonus point for the metamorphosis thing. As those old cells die, there is kind of a soup that's made, and they become the nutrients that help those new parts grow even more effectively. Invite the death of your old self. Because life is always clear after death. Maybe as you're sitting here today, the spirits just begun working on your heart, and you're wrestling with a sin that maybe you knew you were coming in with, maybe you didn't, I don't know maybe you're just trying to figure out, like, where do I start? Like, I get this idea that, that we're walking away from sin and we're walking towards Christ, we're being sanctified, we're being made holy, but, but where, do I, where do I start, Blake? Tim Challies uh, wrote a short, a short story that, that really helps us answer the question really well. He writes, As I followed a country trail that, that winds its way across the vast expanse of southern Ontario, I came to a river crossing, I sat in the shade for a time to rest and to catch my bearings. A man soon happened by, and after we exchanged polite greetings, he told a curious tale. He explained that, that he owns a nearby farm and that one of his sheep and one of his pigs had recently escaped. Together they'd found a weak rail in the fence, pressed upon it until it had broken under their weight, and seeing their opportunity, they quickly bolted from the field and began to explore their new and unfamiliar surroundings. Well, it didn't take the farmer long to realize the two of his animals were gone, and he set out to find them. He, he came across the broken fence, started to search from there, and, but the animals had, had wandered far off, and they hadn't left much of a trail. So day soon turned to night, and he, he went and he rested, and he, he started searching again in the morning, and the animals had now been gone for, for more than 24 hours. And he began to wonder, what could possibly have happened to them? It was in the afternoon, the second day, that he began to hear a distant bleeding, the sound of his sheep crying out. So he listened carefully, and he began to, to follow the, now, the sound as it led toward a nearby bog. And it was there that he found his missing sheep and his missing pig. Both of them had fallen into this deep ditch. Both had, had become stuck and coated in this muck, and both were unable to, to get out. But when the pig had been content, to wallow in the mud. The sheep had known to, to bleat pathetically until the farmer had come to rescue it, to lift it out, and to cleanse it. Then the farmer said, if you're ever deceived into a sin and overtaken by a weakness, don't lose heart. Go at once to your compassionate Savior. Tell him in the simplest words the story of your fall and the sorrow that you feel. Ask him to wash you at once and to restore your soul. And while you're asking, believe that it is done. For if a sheep and a sow fall into a ditch, the sow wallows in it, but the sheep bleats pathetically until she is cleansed by her master. And then he concluded, be the sheep, my friend, and not the pig. Today, as you wrestle with your sin, as I wrestle with my sin, be the sheep, not the pig. Be the sheep, not the pig. Galatians 2.20 reads as a great confession, a pathetic bleeding that calls out to our powerful Savior. simply says, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm dead. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So today, as you're tempted to keep your church face on, pretend like sin is at bay for a couple of hours while you sit in the chairs and you know just press on and managing your own behavior, I want you to deny that temptation and find true life by simply confessing, pathetically bleeding out, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But live in me, Jesus, I believe. Tomorrow, right, as you return to the, to the grind of the week and that grind presses on your mind and on your spirit and you're tempted to, to go back to all your old ways, to what you know, to wallow in the same old sins, deny that temptation and, and find true life by simply confessing, pathetically bleeding out, I no longer live. I've been crucified with Christ. Live in me, Jesus, I believe. And every time, Right? Every time you're tempted to to numb the pains of living in a fallen world with, with worldly lusts, something that you go to time and time again to just check out, deny the flesh, die to it, and find true life by simply confessing, man, you know what? The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. I'm trusting Him. I'm pathetically bleeding out because He loves me and He gave Himself for me. Confess your need for the Savior again and again and again, continuing to trust and hope that he is searching for you to cleanse you until he comes again and he raises you in robes of righteousness. Be the sheep, friends, not the pig. It's easy when we get into this process of wrestling with our sin, of getting messy, of allowing grace to teach us, how to become who Christ created us to be, for the enemy to start shaming us. As the band comes, I want to encourage us with one more thing about our good Savior. Grace teaches us us that there is no shame in sanctification. Hebrews 2.11 says, For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. And that's why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Isn't that phenomenal? For each of you who is in Christ, who has believed in Him as Lord and Savior and confessed your need for Him to save you, Jesus is not ashamed to call you His brother. Jesus is not ashamed to call you His sister. Even as you learn and grace teaches you to work these ugly, nasty, messy sins out of your life. Today, today, if you believed in Jesus and you followed that in Believer's Baptism, we're going to invite you to take communion with us, to make your way to the outside of the room, get a piece of bread and a piece of juice and to remember. But the invitation is really from Jesus. And Jesus says to you, come on, sister. Come to the table. I'm not ashamed to call you that. This is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He just says to you, right? Come on, brother. Come on, man. I'm not ashamed of you. Get up here. Come to the table because this cup represents my blood, which covers all of your sin. Do this to remember me. I'm saving you even in this present age. I'm sanctifying you. I'm making you holy. I'm getting you ready. I'm helping you become the person that I created you to be. And there is no shame in that. The good news of the gospel that we celebrate as we take communion today. But also today, if you've never confessed your need for the Savior, know that you might be still lost in the mud. If that's you, I, I want to invite you to, to come and confess that today. Just, just come and say, I need a Savior. I'm bleeding out that I've been crucified with Christ, I'm dead. It must if that's you, staff will be back here in this corner by these lamps, and man, we just want to confess it with you, cry with you, hug you, pray with you, celebrate with you in knowing that you've been found by the Savior. Whatever the decision is that you need to make today, we pray that you would do it with no shame, because Jesus calls you his brother and sister. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for saving us so long ago when you paid for our sins on the cross, but for continuing to give us grace as you teach us to deny godlessness and to live godly lives. There's great grace in that process. Help us to see it more each day. And as we see that grace in our transformation, Lord, we just ask and pray that it would only inspire us and be a catalyst to grow for you even more. Help us to keep grace at the center. Help it to be the main thing in our lives that we continue to to reflect on and be changed by. Jesus, thank you for being our brother, for not being ashamed of us, for giving us the hope of life spent with you, that calls us to radically different lives as the Spirit leads. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Hey, DJ again. Thanks for joining us at the Canteen and listening to this week's message. Uh, We hope it was helpful to you and that you're encouraged and challenged as we set out this week to walk the walk of faith together, joining Jesus in going outside. Uh, if you're a part of Christ's community, Hey, let's, let's lean into this. Let's not let this just be an academic exercise, but let's apply what we've heard today. How can you be applying this truth in your life this week? If you're not part of the Christ Community family, we're glad that you joined us, glad that you found us, and we hope that uh, that this message was helpful to you as well. One encouragement we would give you, if you're not part of a local church, uh, please don't use these resources as a substitute for that. It is a pale imitation of the real thing as we live in community with one another. So if you're in the Shelbyville area, we'd love to have you come out and join us, but wherever you are, find a local church, get plugged in and experience Christian community as it was meant to be, and continue to use these resources to supplement that journey, but please don't replace it. Thanks for joining us this week. Grab your backpack and I will see you on the trail. Thanks for listening to The Backpack, a production of Christ Community Church. The Backpack is hosted by DJ Williams, Daniel Bright, and Josiah Ward. You can learn more about Christ Community Church at loveshelbyville.com.